0: Yeah, go ahead. I'll be over in a minute. Time, temperature, and concentration. Read the work order. Safety glasses. You're not done with that yet? Hey, put on some gloves. Can you please just follow the process? Make sure you put your respirator away. Solvent rags go over the side of the trash can. Where's your wet film gauge? Make sure you're putting tags back on the parts. Did you milk check that? Put your tools away. chase welcome to kaiser cast episode 17 title of this episode is powder coating 101 so we're gonna get to the real real basics of powder coating chloe's with me today we don't have a guest It's gonna be me and her so what uh anything new chloe
1: just uh finished up the christmas shopping today so that feels good um and we're you know getting ready to shut down production for a week so it always feels a little busy leading up to christmas um just trying to tie up all the loose ends and everything um but we have that to look forward to so that's nice
0: yeah how about you all the guys are looking forward to it i'm looking forward to it because um i'm gonna do hopefully get to do a lot of maintenance which is my favorite thing to do so i've been ordering some parts
1: anything in particular you're excited to work on
0: uh, there's a lot of stuff in the wash bay that needs just to be um, refreshened up, I guess. Some stuff that's worn out. It's still working fine, but it's just uh, there's a few things that are starting to leak a little bit. and Just because over time, the chemicals wear on all that equipment. And I haven't r- really worked around the wash bay in a while.
1: You got super excited about a discovery related to the wash bay this week. Do you want to talk about that?
0: Yeah, I was trying to find some different type of um, nozzles and tips for um, a couple of the sprayers that we have. And uh, I haven't had very much success on that in the past. And I thought I had um, the best that I could get or the right, you know, I wanted a different size, but I was told that, like, what I have is the only thing available. And then I came across a website that had, ton of different nozzles and tips like anything I could ever want so like hundred what did I say 190 some different nozzles so that was pretty that was pretty exciting and I found I don't know exactly which one I want but I bought like five or six just to test a few of them so hopefully that that will uh I was looking for him to try to help um efficiency in the wash bay just to help Kevin so he can um not have to spend as much time on stuff but still get get good pre-treatment.
1: Have you shared this with him yet? Or is it going to be a surprise?
0: Um, No, because for the most part, it's not going to change how he's doing anything. Uh, it's just going to get me a better outcome, essentially. Because I don't want to have to like... A lot of our stuff is pretty well set in terms of our patterns and passes, and I don't like to change that if I don't have to. I just want to see if I can... By adjusting so bill always talk bill townsend talks about time temperature and concentration don't really want can't really adjust the temperature in this case and i don't want to increase the time um so i gotta adjust not really adjusting concentration i guess but um uh, so if you go with a way bigger nozzle you would be getting more flow so like technically um you You'd be spending, quote unquote, more time on it, even though you'd be moving just as fast because you're you're flowing more chemical out, basically.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. So you're gonna test all of that over the next week.
0: Uh, yeah, over the week of between Christmas and New Year's, yeah.
1: So, um, you I got like hundred really-
0: hours or more that I'll be able to, what like seven times, whatever seven times sixteen is. <laughs> Actually, 16. it's more than that. It's more than that. How many days do we have? It's um, Christmas Eve is a Friday, and then we're then we go Saturday to Saturday, and then Sunday. So it's nine. Is it nine days?
1: Yeah, that sounds right.
0: Times sixteen I, hours a day, so that's one hundred and times ten would be one hundred sixty hours.
1: And you're gonna spend all that time at Kaiser.
0: Hopefully, yeah. That's great. And a little bit of time at Christmas, I guess. But
1: uh, you've mentioned to me boring. this week that no, it will not be boring. <laughs> <laughs> it will not be boring. But I know that you're kind of dreading um, some of the conversations that tend to come up over the holidays. Do you want to talk about that?
0: Oh yeah. So I mean, we've I put some content out on social recently about uh, just that I work a lot and. Uh, Not everybody views that the the same way I do, but I thought of a really good um, way to describe that. That just kind of dawned on me recently in terms of, like, I don't need a lot of encouragement. I never have. Uh, When I was racing and things, like, uh, even when we won, I never... I guess I just don't feel satisfied that often. Like, I'm always just kind of on to the next thing. And don't spend a lot of time like relishing in success so i never need hardly any encouragement from anybody because i just i don't really think about that i'm just always on to the next thing but i realized recently that it's really important if even if you don't agree with somebody or how they're doing something if you don't want to encourage it because you feel like that's the wrong thing that they're doing so you're not going to tell them anything good about it you're not going to encourage them but that doesn't mean that you have to discourage them. So so you could just not say anything at all. Like if you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. That's what saying. And I think that that could apply to everybody. And now obviously if if the a close friend or family member is doing something that's like inflicting damage on themselves or others, then you probably are going to say something. I'm, I'm not saying to just don't say anything to them in those certain cases. But like if somebody is just living their life differently or enjoys different things than you do, you don't necessarily have to get on their bandwagon and encourage them and tell them that that's like the best thing ever and that you're really excited for them and you're really happy for them. You could just say nothing. Cause I, I feel like the worst thing that you can do is discourage. And I think people don't necessarily realize that, just by talking about it and just bringing it up and questioning it, trying to have conversation is still discouraging.
1: Yeah. Which probably happens more around the holidays than any other time because you see more people.
0: Yeah. And me and you talked about this off air a little bit, and your point was like, yeah, that's with everything. That's with, like, uh, like, everything that anybody could ever do. Like, don't discourage. Yeah. As long as it's not inflicting, like, extreme damage or anything like that but
1: yeah I think it's a common trap that families and friends I guess also fall into this like I'm gonna give you advice that you didn't ask for and it's gonna make you feel bad
0: (laughs) yeah and the intent (laughs) is yeah the intent I don't think is ever to make another person feel bad right and I've even been thinking about it like in terms of me leading and managing like I don't need to like say certain things even if I'm like i'm not trying to criticize i'm just like stating the obvious or whatever I'm, I'm realizing like what's the point of me saying that it's actually probably frustrating the other person because i'm like narrating a mistake or like saying like kind of like hindsight's 2020 20, i would have done this this way and that's actually you know i'm looking at that as a standpoint of, like i'm trying to help and and explain a different way but In reality, it's probably just discouraging. So I've been trying to myself to just like not say certain stuff like that.
1: It's a bit different in the workplace though, right? Because you have to give feedback.
0: Yeah, but if they're getting the result that they should and they're just doing it a different way than I would personally do it, then I probably don't need to say anything. Oh, gotcha. Right. Cause okay. then I'm just yeah. like basically second guessing their abilities kind of.
1: Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. So have you thought about how you're going to respond to people when that topic comes up this Christmas?
0: <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> I'll just take it in stride. Like I always do because like, I'm going to, I don't know. I, I guess that leads to, even if you feel like that, um, you're getting discouraged by whatever reason for in any area. There's plenty of encouragement out there. Go find it and listen to that and surround yourself with that. Um, and that'll put you in a better mindset to deal with the every day to day. Cause if the thing is, is if you're doing something that's different than most people, people are going to talk about it because you're different.
1: It makes me wonder um, because I'm certain I've done this to people before too about the things I've said without even realizing that I was passing judgment or that I sounded like I was passing judgment Um, because I think it's something that is sort of human to do. Um, And so I guess the challenge to myself and to all of us this Christmas is maybe express interest in the lives of people around you and maybe avoid statements or judgments or I don't know.
0: Yeah, I agree with that
1: evidence
0: that you're yeah yeah there was something else that really like switching gears now that uh i was sorting a ton of product yesterday afternoon into the evening and then all day today and uh i and it was all it's all a mess and not matching what what the purchase orders that we have are and this is a disaster um and i was thinking about like well, how is this you know why is this this bad? And why do I feel like we don't typically have this issue at Kaiser? And I realized, or what I think it is, is that since we're still small enough that one person, which right now it's me, does the scheduling and the purchasing, it makes it, there's like no miscommunications that can happen there, which is extremely important. Because like purchasing and scheduling go hand in hand. And a lot of the times when companies start to get bigger, and I've even thought about this for Kaiser, usually the purchaser is separate than the scheduler. And basically what a purchaser is, is somebody that like makes sure that you have all the raw materials on hand so you can do the work. And the person that's scheduling is the one that is like usually really familiar with the production, usually close to the shop floor, works, hand in hand with the shop floor probably has experience actually doing the stuff. Um, the purchaser tends to be somebody who is an office person, not very skilled on the shop floor, doesn't know all the ins and outs. And so when a, when you have those two people be one in the same, which is what we have at Kaiser, it's makes it easier because we, we wouldn't be able to be, uh, Our production schedule wouldn't be able to change as much as it does back and forth moving things around up and down and oh something just came in that's uh, a really similar color that what we're going to be running at the end of this week and it makes sense to just roll that up to get it done and batch it together so it doesn't have to be run by itself and stuff but the only way you can do that as a scheduler and it actually work out and follow through to production is like While you're scheduling, you're thinking about like, do we have all these materials? Oh, no, we don't. And then like right then yourself right there, you can get a purchase going to make sure that it'll be there. And then you get pretty quick feedback. Like, oh, those supplies won't be here in time. Okay. I guess I can't put that there. And so when you start splitting that into multiple people, there's just communication lag back and forth internally. And then that messes a lot of stuff, It slows you down a lot, I think.
1: There must be large companies that do it well, and I wonder if I wonder if they could give us advice.
0: I'm typically pretty cynical, so I'll give my cynical opinion. I haven't seen any, <laughs> seen any big company do it well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, that's the problem with growth is that you have more humans, you have more error.
0: But I think the secret is nfts
1: Ooh, explain And
0: in smart contracts i just think that uh i've been reading a lot about it doing more and more research and um i came across this one where a smart contract it's basically a smart contract is a computer program if you will on the blockchain and it's being used to in like a logistics sense for two different companies like a supplier and an end customer to kind of have the logistics all in one place on one system so the supplier and customer can see both see it so a lot of transparency in terms of like if something's going wrong then they then they can see what's happening and so that might work pretty well for uh purchasing and scheduling and like the stronger in computer programs exist now the stronger computer program there is the the less the issues you would have having three different people do it. It's just, there's no way that you can have agility and versatility and a lot of speed and, like, quick changes that we have to have in the coding industry when you've got multiple people. I mean, I think everybody's experienced that in, like, any type of uh, environment ever. Like, the more people that are involved, it just gets bigger and clunkier. There's just no way around it
1: right yeah that makes sense but it also can't just live in your brain forever either so
0: maybe it can i don't know
1: <laughs> you're gonna find a way
0: maybe i'll like make an nft of my brain or something
1: that's what we've always said we needed
0: as a clone of me yeah Yep.
1: yeah <laughs> And of everybody, I guess. Yeah.
0: So um, what's your social media tip of the day?
1: Um, It actually, it lines up pretty well with what you were just saying about NFTs. um, Because as you and I are kind of tracking like what people are putting out there and what's been working for people and all of that. And also as I become increasingly addicted to TikTok, um, I have realized that there's a lot of value in being weird in ways that I think have sort of died off on other platforms like Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn, like those are very sort of corporate and very aesthetic and there's a certain way that you write copy and, you know, things have to look a certain way and we all sort of play by these unwritten rules on all of those platforms, um, which results in a lot of our content just like looking like everybody else's content, which is fine. Um, but as we're branching out into other platforms and as we're exploring the world of NFTs and sort of creating things that never existed before, I really think that there's a lot of value in being the only person who does something um, and in being a person who does things that are weird. So the one that springs to mind immediately on TikTok, if you haven't seen Johnny Watermelon, um, go follow Johnny Watermelon on TikTok. I won't even describe it. Just just go see um, and you won't be able to look away. So. <laughs> Be weird.
0: Being weird is a good thing.
1: It is a good thing. Yeah. And it's what I want to consume. It's what I want to see from people. And maybe that's just part of getting older too, you know? When you're in your 20s, you want to be just like everybody else. And then in your 30s and 40s, it's like, yeah, but that doesn't really actually bring me joy though. (laughs) Like I have to find the very niche things that I like to do for the rest of my life. And those are often weird and that's great. Agreed. Um, But we're going to set weirdness aside. And actually, we're going to go back to the fundamentals today. Um, As you mentioned, this episode is about Powder Coating 101. So um, I kind of wanted to ask you why you wanted to talk about this and where you want to go with it.
0: Well, so... I've been thinking about this a lot, especially as we've been doing hiring me and me and Chloe have talked about this cause there's a challenge because. There's really not any place for formal education aside from welding, um, for any manufacturing jobs. And what I mean by that is there's all kinds of jobs in the manufacturing world, whether it's the metal fabrication side or the blasting and coating side that you, if you go to your local community college and get a two-year degree, like you can't major in these things that I'm aware of. If I'm wrong, somebody tell me. But obviously, you can in welding, and that's a pretty popular one. And there's like auto mechanics and things like that. There is auto body painting typically at almost all um, of the trade schools. And I know that there are certain trade schools across the United States that are a little more focused, very focused on certain industries. So they do exist, but for us, locationally here in Lincoln, Nebraska, I feel like they're not probably close enough, and so we don't benefit from that. And so there's a lot of jobs in the surface prep and coding industry that line up with a lot of the skills that kids are learning in trade schools. Like If you're in a trade school right now and not sure exactly what you want to study, but you're doing your prerequisites and it's the hands-on, and maybe it's welding, maybe it's auto body painting. There's a lot of jobs out there that I don't think that you're getting exposed to and you should be getting exposed to. And as far as the coding industry is concerned, I can speak to that pretty well. And so there's, there's going to be surface prep, there's pretreatment, there's powder coating, there's liquid coating and all of these things. When I say that most people don't even know what that means. They can't envision it in their mind. And so they don't even equate that to something that they could do. But actually, it lines up perfectly with what you've been learning.
1: So why in the world can't I go to Southeast Community College and learn how to powder coat then if there are careers available in that field?
0: I'm not quite sure why. I feel like that there's just a disconnect there, and I probably need to actually start working on that. Um, It's just there's definitely a a place for it because – manufacturing as a whole, you know, I was talking very specific about coatings, but there's a lot of different jobs in fabrication that you can't necessarily major in, but they have a hard time finding people that want to do them for one, and then are skilled at doing them. And so I'm not quite sure why there's so much of a gap there between that's a gap between like the real world and academia. I feel like community college is closer to the real world but um, probably us in the industry aren't spending enough time thinking about the benefits of training people really well. And it's it's I feel like it's less about training and more about people just don't even know that these jobs exist, and that's a huge issue.
1: So you and I started talking about this because of the hiring process, right? And this idea that like, there are so many talented people out there who want to work with their hands and have no idea that we even exist. (laughs) So how do we reach them and tell them that this might actually be an industry that's like very close to what they're already doing or what they, you know, think they might be looking for? Um, And so this is interesting to me. So how how do we find and attract those people?
0: I just think if you are currently going to a community college in in and around the Lincoln area or really anywhere in the United States. Um, maybe you're thinking about going to community college or you have graduated or you're currently going, like I said, you need to look into the coating industry. You need to look into surface prep and blasting. You need to look into pretreatment. You need to look into powder coating, liquid coating, and Hopefully, you're listening to this podcast. All you need to do is Google those things and they're going to come up, or click the link, click some of the links that we put out in social media. We'll, we'll try to put some links in the description of this podcast and you can go learn more about it. Because in order for you to become interested, you're going to have to learn a little bit more about it. You're just not being exposed to it but your skills directly line up with this industry. I know that for a fact, it's not, not a question. So if you're sitting there thinking like, I'm not sure if I could do this, I know that you can do this. If you're interested in trade type work, working with your hands, you can do this hundred percent. It's just deciding and learning about it a little bit yourself and deciding like, is that something I want to do or not? And if it's not the coding industry, fantastic but maybe you're interested in uh, other metal fabrication. maybe you don't want to be a welder you tried it, you're not good at it. There is a m- ton of other processes that happen before welding you know running huge machines that I personally find very fun like actually on the floor running laser cutters and all all of the CNC machines and stuff. Now a lot people probably think a lot of that is, pre-programmed now and so you have to be you know it's, it's less hands-on you used to be able to, like there was people that were hand making all this stuff with mills and lathes by hand now it's cnc which is i don't know what that stands for but i should um compute or something um And so a lot of it's pre-programmed, like you can watch this machine do all these different things all by itself. And so that's more of a, a programming language that you have to learn. My, I suspect that there's still a pretty large disconnect there. And between like, even if you major in that at a community college and then go work somewhere, you probably have to relearn just for that specific piece of equipment in order to program it. But what, people I think are missing and don't understand is like there still has to currently there still has to be physical people that are moving these parts around you know maybe I mean you could call yourself a material handler at that point like but there has to be someone that is interested in the process likes to work with their hands and knows enough about what's going on to be able to like look at something like this is wrong You know, not, I'm not necessarily saying a quality control person, but there are still production people around a laser machine, making sure it's operating correctly.
1: Which that would, that would be the case trying to teach someone powder coating out of a textbook too, right? There's like the lab version where you're in a vacuum and everything's sterile. And then there's like the real life application. And I know that you've mentioned, you know, people ask you all the time, whether they need to go back to school in order to advance in their powder coating career. And you're always like, no, because what are you going to learn in a classroom that you can't learn better just by doing it? Um, so that's interesting. So in order to really create a, a, an effective powder coating training program, you would need to put people in booths.
0: Absolutely. And like, to your point, um, we get, there is a big difference between someone that works in a powder coating lab and makes powder, actual powder coating and sprays out panels and cures them. And someone that works in a chemical lab and actually is a chemist and making chemicals and sprays panels puts them in salt spray chambers and gets all these great results. And we actually did a, po- a post on LinkedIn very recently and it did had a lot of engagement and, you know, uh, partially because the way that I designed the graphic was probably not a hundred percent the way it should have been. And I did learn some things from it. And, uh, our friend, Kevin Biller pointed that out to me. And so we did this post on LinkedIn and, uh, Kevin is, um, a powder coating formulator and it's been around the industry for a long time and so we did a what was the the graphic was a i was trying to explain the import, importance of conversion coating. we talked to bill townsend a, a few episodes ago um he's really passionate about pre-treatment and conversion coatings and so am i and so i was tr- we did a whole theme where i was trying to highlight like okay powder coatings great but conversion coating is could be more important at times because it's a very key part. And I wanted to highlight that most people forget or don't even know that pretreatment is a part of the powder coating process. And, um, we got a lot of comments from people that are, were talking in, in absolutes and, um, from lab settings and it was their experience, right? And they are skilled people and they are smart. So their answers were correct, but I always am, I'm the one person that I know of that I haven't really come across anybody else, but no matter what, what I'm doing, it doesn't matter if it's blasting and coatings or, or racing or whatever. I'm typically the one that's trying to bridge the gap and the difference between like theoretically lab wise, perfect environment. This is what should happen. And what's actually happening out on the floor. I like to do both. I'm passionate about both. I want to actually go do it with my hands. And then I actually, you know, I want to learn about the getting, you know, looking at stuff under a microscope. And so I feel like what I'm supposed to be doing in my, the best way I can add value, especially for our team is to know all the super intricate stuff and, and have experience with a lot of the technology and testing that's done in the labs. And look at those results and understand those results and then say, okay, but I know in all actuality, there's going to be some discrepancies. And then I can tell our team, like, we need to do this, this, and this. And I can give a little bit of indication as to why, um, but I don't have to go, they don't need all the details to know why.
1: Right. And so, and what you were saying before is that in your experience, there is going to be a disconnect between the textbook version of what's supposed to happen and what actually happens when you're dealing with people and wind and contamination and factors that you really can't plan for. Right. Um,
0: And so maybe that's why that there, you know, it's harder to have some of these jobs that aren't, um, there's maybe there's not a lot of textbook material there is but at the same time like there's only so much you can read about and then like you said you got to go get in the booth and spray powder and see how it's actually happening so that that could be why
1: that's so interesting yeah that's so interesting okay so if someone is listening to this and they're like yeah you know I know for sure I want to go to a trade school. I know for sure I want to be working with my hands. I, you know, I was thinking about welding. I was thinking about auto body paint. Um, but I'm interested in this powder coating business. Like, what do they need to know at this point? Where to start? Or I guess... The best
0: the, the best place to start is consume content. And I think that's why we put out a lot of content. So the best place to start is is... Click on the link that's in this podcast we'll link it to somewhere where you can find information and find more and more um and then everybody's best resource nowadays is the internet and google right you don't necessarily have to consume the content that we put out but just go look um i think the hard thing is is that you're going to be looking at these and the only content that you're going to find is fancy videos of stuff when it's complete And people that are really passionate and interested about this and want to make a career, they want to see the step-by-step process. So you might have to dig a little bit to find that. Um, but you know, once you, once you find some things where it's a little more in depth and hands-on, probably videos is what you're going to find. Uh, hopefully that that sparks your interest and you can see that, you know, at the end of the day, it's just working with your hands. And so that's where you, that's where you need to start
1: so again for people who are listening who are like yeah i'm curious um what kind of skills do you think would transfer well into the powder world what kind of person are you looking for
0: again if you like to work with your hands and you're going to a community college trade school two-year degree because you're bound to determine that you know i want a little bit higher education than high school i think that that you know you personally think that that adds value and i agree you a little bit more discipline gets you a little bit more accustomed to being around different people than you have been your whole life but if you just have that interest that's really all that it takes if you are liking the classes that you're currently in at your college and you're kind of interested in welding and you've been interested in the auto body painting then that interest is enough to to kind of get you into the coding industry or other manufacturing industry jobs. And then once you kind of have that interest, then you can kind of go from there. There's really nothing specific. Like you need to do this, this, and this. It's mostly got to learn about a little bit and decide which one that you, you want to learn more about.
1: That makes sense. So if you or someone, you know, fits the description, send them our way (laughs) so if we start at the very beginning um assuming someone with no prior knowledge of the finishing industry what is powder coating
0: powder coating is just another form of painting it goes on as a powder dry powder and cures in an oven typically around 400 degrees so that that's the only difference it's still painting but typical paint you have to wait for it to dry. And usually that's uh, water is is evaporating. If it's water-based or solvents are evaporating and that's what's allowing the paint to dry. And then you have a coated part when you're done. Powder coating, you're still coating the part. It's just the material you're putting on is dry powder. And then you force cure it in an oven with heat.
1: So... um... I've been working at KZR long enough to know that powder coating is kind of like ubiquitous out in the world. It's out there. So for someone who's like, I've never seen this before. Yes, you have, first of all. Um, And where would you say that someone has likely seen powder coating before, maybe without even realizing it?
0: Well, coatings in general, just generalize it. You got to understand like anything that has like a color on it, it's been coated. Right. And you usually can drive that all the way back to liquid or powder or if it's a lot of stuff nowadays is a plastic so like it's getting colorant in the plastic itself but there are a lot of technologies that we're actually coating plastic after the fact we meaning industry not necessarily us particularly but if we stick with metal objects and you're going around town typically any type of trash can or bench or A lot of windows exterior windows aluminum extrusions could be powder coated um so almost anything that you see out around town that's metal it's it's probably powder coated could be liquid paint but more and more every day stuff continues to go to powder coating so anytime that you see something that's metal you probably could be like i bet that was powder coated and you're probably right
1: Is there a specific way to tell it apart from liquid coating or it could look pretty identical, it just was applied differently?
0: If they're both done the right way, it could look really identical. If done well, it's hard to tell the difference. Usually when I can tell is because there's a failure, it's peeling away, it's rusting. And in those cases, then you can typically start to see Oh, that was powder. Oh, that was liquid. And the reason why I say that is liquid is usually a little more flexible, a little more malleable. And so its failure modes look a little different than powder coating, where powder coating typically is hard and so and brittle relatively. I don't want it to sound like that powder coating is fragile. That's not the case. But when it's if it's going to fracture, we'll get some mechanical engineering. Um, terms in here if it's gonna fracture it's usually gonna be a brittle fracture um so the coating typically doesn't yield meaning it doesn't stretch powder coating doesn't stretch and then break it just breaks so if you see stuff like flaking off breaking off usually that's powder coating liquid coating will usually yield and stretch a little from, based on my experience. So you might not see like hard jagged edges where liquid paint is flaking off where you, you do see that with powder coating. That's a generalization. Kevin Biller, correct me on that, please.
1: Okay, so if the end result can look similar, um, you did mention that the application is different. So let's talk about What goes into spraying or applying powder coating? What does that look like?
0: So if you're applying powder coating, um, it's actually going to look really similar to when you're painting. So if you had a paint booth and a powder coating booth side by side, and you had the same exact part in there going the same color, and you'll see you had one operator in each booth, they're both going to have a full Tyvek suit on. More than likely, they're both going to have a full face respirator on. They're both going to be holding some sort of spray gun the guns are going to look a little different but they're both going to be holding a spray gun. They're both going to have hoses coming up to that spray gun. So, before they start spraying, everything's going to look really really similar. Just the spray guns are going to look a little different, be a little different shape. Now when they start spraying and powder coating, you're spraying powder. So all of a sudden there's going to be kind of a little cloud of dust that's coming out of the end of this gun and that's the powder coating and It's charged, and we're using electrostatics to get that charged powder to suck to the metal-grounded part, and that's how it's happening. So that's how the powder is actually sticking to the part is electrostatics. And typically, since we're letting the electrostatics do the work for us, we're usually moving pretty slow when we're spraying powder because we don't have a huge volume of powder coming out at once. Because if that was the case, the electrostatics can't really... The field can't really do its job to pull the powder to the part. We have a ton of powder coming out. Most of it would just land on the ground. So we're more in slow motion when we're powder coating. So if our guy's over here powder coating on the trigger, he's moving really slow. We look over at our other booth and our painter's going, he's moving super fast, typically. Got a lot more material coming out. You might see a little bit of a cloud, but... It's, it's all liquid paint that's coming out of there. So this is, it may be just little droplets, a little overspray cloud. Um, but it doesn't really look dusty per se, just maybe misty, maybe foggy a little bit. And so wet paint is coming out of the end of his gun going right onto the part. So how is that sticking? Well, the paint is sticky, right? It's wet. So it's landing on the part and it's sticking. That's how it's staying on there. Uh, typically no charge. There is electrostatic painting, but regular painting, there's no charge. And um, like I said, they're moving a lot faster because we got a lot more material coming out. So you could end up having it run. Obviously, you can adjust your settings in liquid coating to have hardly no material coming out and moving slower. But really, what's the point? You can move faster and make a part look good. So you usually have a lot more material coming out. So that w- the main difference that you're going to see between liquid coating and powder coating is you're going to see a dusty cloud in the powder booth and the guy that's running the equipment and holding the spray gun, he's going to be moving a lot slower in the powder coating booth.
1: What is somebody wearing as they're doing this?
0: So a full you'll wear a full Tyvek suit. It's going to be a white suit. I say Tyvek because that's just like the name brand. It's like saying use a kleenex right so this is a full coverall suit with a hood and then you're going to have a respirator on uh, typically a full face respirator could be a half face respirator and then if you're wearing a half face you probably have a head sock on to, so that way you don't get pain all over your face and that's about it work boots that's about it
1: So the powder coating process is slower than liquid coating as far as the actual spraying goes. And then how long does it cure in the oven? Are we talking minutes? Are we talking hours?
0: So depending on the temperature that the powder cures at and the temperature your ovens running at is how long that cure cycle is going to be. On average, you're probably in the oven for about 25 minutes. If you're like a batch type oven where you're rolling a cart in, closing the doors, usually for an average part, it's probably 25 minutes. Um, really you only have to have the part at temperature for about 10 minutes. Um, meaning once the part actually gets hot itself, but you got to go longer than 10 minutes because the part has to heat up first. Right. So usually on average, it's about 25 minutes.
1: So my next question was going to be, why would someone choose paint or, I mean, sorry, powder coating over liquid coating. And it sounds like durability, um, and potentially timeliness. And is, is there anything else?
0: cost to get yep. the exact so you can get a paint and a powder cutting to perform really well both of them you could get a liquid to outperform a powder or a powder to outperform a liquid but just day in and day out your everyday run of the mill trying to get decent performance powder cutting is going to be cheaper
1: is that the reason that the majority of casers biggest clients uh, tend to prefer powder over liquid would you say
0: I think they prefer powder over liquid because of cost. I don't know that they like are thinking of the background of all the stuff that's happening, but I think it's cost and turnaround time, you know, because we talk about it a lot, how people just put our feet to fire on turnaround times and you can't really do that with paint. I mean, you can get really quick dry paints, but you really, really are suffering performance. If you got something that dries super, super fast, it's because they're, it's basically all solvent that will evaporate off and no paint. So you might get a little bit of the color and that's about it. So there's no, there's nothing there to like keep the paint in place and hold up.
1: Um. So you've mentioned that there are different types of liquid coating. They're solvent based, water-based, etc. cetera. Um, is that true of powder coating? Are there different chemistries that are used for different applications? And can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Uh, different chemistries for powder. We're all going to, it's always going to be powder. Um, there's different chemistries in terms of paint as well. Like we're talking about water, but then solvent, but even in the solvent world, all kinds of different chemistries. So this gets into, um, like when we're talking about powder coatings, it could be a polyester. It could be a polyurethane. It could be, we've talked about cross linkers before. So it could be a polyester TGIC or a polyester HAA. Um, what else could be an epoxy? Could be a zinc-rich epoxy. Those are the main ones. I just said the main ones.
1: So um, I imagine that all of these different chemistries have different durability under different conditions. But you know, if someone is bringing, like, say, a lawn chair to Kaiser, how long can they reasonably expect their powder coating to last?
0: So when you're talking about a polyester powder coating. There's usually just like regular and super durable. Typically the manufacturer will say for a regular that it'll hold its color and gloss for one year, or that's what they're hoping. And then a super durable will hold its color and gloss for five years. And so that's just from the powder coating manufacturer. It's really not talking about if it's going to like fall off or flake off, but holding color and gloss, which is important. could be one to five years if a polyester powder coatings being used. If an epoxy is being used, epoxies are notorious for chalking and fading out in the environment. So if you roll up on something that looks really faded and chalky, you put your hand on it. It's chalky. You brush up against it. It's chalky on your arm or whatever. It's probably was an epoxy. Um, probably paint at some point. Somebody probably, maintenance guy, grabbed epoxy paint and, and fixed the... Or, you know, painted the cover at the park or whatever, and now it's chalking and fading. And epoxy, um, no matter what, liquid or powder, will do that, and it'll do it quick. Uh, for a while, I don't know if we have any pictures of it, but for, for a short time, we were trying epoxy on duck blinds. Um, we we're trying all kinds of different stuff for a while. They're just trying to get performance and cost. We we're varying those metrics um, for duck blind. Mike, Mike Cunningham, owner of Kohler Blinds, He's coming up on Kaisercast, I think in January, possibly he'll be in his blind. I'm sure hunting while we're talking to him. But, um, anyway, we started with like a polyester regular durable at the time. And so, um, then we were thinking about ma- making that a super durable, but then we tried. I said, well, let's try, I wanted to try zinc rich. And so we, we went with zinc rich epoxy and that actually held up really well. Some challenges for spraying um doesn't uh just isn't as usable as a regular polyester doesn't build as quick um so spraying spraying issues but getting to the point about the epoxy so since it was a zinc rich epoxy epoxy is the main thing that's in that coating immediately they'll start chalking and fading we always store the duck blinds outside when they're done because they're huge right and so just sitting in our lot for a week versus one that's coming straight out of the oven coming outside. You could tell a difference that it was already starting to fade. And so, um, I knew that that was the case and he knew that that was a possibility too, but I never had seen it firsthand myself, how quickly, um, it'll start to happen and it's really quick.
1: That's crazy. Um, I don't know if I've ever witnessed that myself. That's yeah. crazy. So
0: if somebody uses an epoxy, which powder coating, which might be like an interior powder coating is usually going to be mostly epoxy um, on your lawn furniture, it could, I mean, it's definitely going to fade in color pretty darn quick. And you'll notice like in a year you'd be, you would be like, man, this thing looks like it needs to be redone already. They, they, they could have accidentally used an epoxy. By total accident. Because you can get that in any color you want. It's just, you know, from a spraying standpoint, it looks exactly the same. When it comes out of the oven, it looks exactly the same. You just if you read the label wrong.
1: So say somebody has a part that's been powder coated and it no longer looks good. It's chucking. It's fading. It might be coming up in flakes or something. How do you go about removing that?
0: To remove an old coating... You can either strip it with a chemical, which is has environmental concerns, uh, or you can just blast it off, which is what we do at Kaiser, and that works really, really well and gets us back down to clean substrate, and then then we can recode it from there.
1: And what are some of the common household items um, that you see coming through the shop? I know we've talked about lawn furniture. Car frames is another one that comes to mind. Like everybody's got a car frame, right? Especially if you're working on a restoration or something. Are there any other parts you can think of that like the average person might have in their home or in their garage or on their property somewhere that could maybe benefit from powder coating?
0: Pretty much anything that's metal, we can blast and powder coat. So if you have any metal parts that typically sit outside and are starting to rust or fade And as long as they're metal, um, then we can, we could blast and powder coat it. We do all kinds of different things. Um, We are, one of our mottos is no job is too big or small. Obviously, when we get really busy with industrial customers, we spend less time with the general public. So we, right now, since we're super busy, we're doing less small signs and ornaments and things. And, and typically we're pretty upfront about that and we'll just say, Hey, we're not, we're not going to quote this right now because we're too busy. And this tiny little, you know, yard stake is just too small for us to spend time with right now. And we'll give you a recommendation where you can take that somewhere else. Um, but there are times where usually it's summertime ish, you know, early, or early spring, early fall. We do a lot of that stuff because when it comes in and groves, then we kind of just do it all together. But yeah, anything that's metal, um, we can blast and powder coat.
1: So speaking of powder coating, anything, um, our social media question of the day is not a question that was posted on anything that we put out. It came from LinkedIn and the original post is by Kobe crisp of PGE powder coating. Um, and it's a selfie of him with this big pipe that has visibly been powder coated. And the caption says, can you powder inner coat 20 foot pipe? I can. And my question for you, Jace is how in the world did he do that?
0: (laughs) Okay. So this was a huge, like, this is like underground piping probably that carries water would be my guess or oil. And so this is really big pipe. You stick your whole arm in it. It's firm in terms of diameter to give you guys an idea that are listening and this one was 20 foot long. And somehow he powder-coated the inside of this pipe. Uh, my guess would be that he had some sort... There are extensions that we can put on the ends of our guns, which we do have some at Kaiser. I think one goes up to like two feet. Um, so wouldn't be long enough for what he's doing. Uh, but my guess is he's developed some sort of extension. Whether he buys it, probably not because it's that long. Or he came up with something on his own to make... So he can reach the actual powder coating gun way down into that pipe, pull the trigger. So powder starts coming out and then pull the gun out. And then he probably does that from each side, right? So if it's a 20 foot long pipe, he goes in one end with a 10 foot extension, works his way back out and then does the same thing um, from the other side. And uh, so, yeah, I, I'd be surprised I guess if he made it the extension himself because usually um, so since we're do- using a gun that uses electrostatics, you, you have to have s- um, some high voltage electricity that runs all the way out to the nozzle of the extension. I'm trying in my mind, I'm trying to think currently on like ours how that works, but uh, I guess I if I had to, I probably could make something. Myself, that would do that. There are nozzles that work, so forget the extension for a minute, but there's nozzles that work pretty well to help, you know, make the powder spray out radially, right? So if you're inside a pipe, you kind of want to cut, like if you're spraying liquid, let's say, you'd want it to spray radially, so like perpendicular to the gun. So it actually sprays the idea of the pipe as you pull the gun out towards yourself so those nozzles definitely exist and that those can be bought the problem with that you have that he's dealing with is he's got 20 foot long pipes you got to reach you got to reach way in there and you can't with a typical gun it's too big to reach in right you need something that's kind of like a long skinny pipe that'll go inside the big pipe that he's spraying so that would be my guess um i commented on his post just because i was wondering um if he uses a fluidized bed dipping method or if he was spraying it and he said he was spraying it and the reason why i asked that is because you can take a a um pipe or anything any part that's metal and heat it up and then you can dip that so you into a fluidized bed of powder so you have a big vat of powder and it's fluidized by like putting air in there so the powder's kind of boiling and moving around it feels like water if you put your hand in a fluidized bed it just feels like there's water in there Um, but it's actually powder coating and you can take a part that's preheated and hot and dip it down in. And so since it's hot powder gels to it right away. And then when you pull the part back out, it's coated. So that's how you could coat the inside of something. So I thought maybe he was doing that, but he said, no, he was actually spraying it.
1: I'm just picturing the amount of space it would take to maneuver like this 10 foot extension in and around a 20 foot pipe. Like that's huge, right?
0: Yeah, it would be because if you think about like our booths at K's are about 25 foot long our spray booth is anyway. And uh, so you'd have that whole pipe in there. And then that's why it's like, if you had a 10 foot extension and you're coming at it from each end, I mean, you still got like, you gotta be careful to not break your, extension so yeah i don't that's how i think he's doing it but i could be wrong i don't know how else you would accomplish it though if you didn't have something that could get your get the gun way down in there there are like in terms of blasting a pipe like that there's devices that um basically you you just the blast hose goes all the way inside and there's a special nozzle that kind of like has a guide and you just pull it through the pipe um and in that sense, you have a really long hose, but that's kind of flexible. So it's not that big a deal. Spray wise, whether you're doing paint or powder, your your extension or nozzle is going to be pretty rigid. So you got to be careful not to break that when you're moving it around, like you were just saying.
1: Well, well however you did it, Kobe, great job. Um, keep up the good work. <laughs> and if you feel like dropping secrets, we'd love to know.
0: So that's pretty much it. I don't think we have anything else. Um, talked a lot about this education around powder coating. Uh, powder coating one hundred and one was the name of this ep- episode, KizerCast episode seventeen. Um, we've been, like I said, we've been thinking about this a lot, especially as we're doing hiring. We think we're missing out on people that would be interested in our industry that just don't know about it.
1: We had a bit of a shift in the schedule. Um, I'm trying to remember who's next. I don't recall.
0: Dave Tyson is still coming up. We had to reschedule him. We we're going to do him today, but um, he's our rep from PPG, so that'll be a good one. Uh, coming up in January or February sometime, I said Duck Blind Mike. Mike Cunningham's coming up. Um, Ross Sudbeck from Modern Coding Solutions, I think, is coming up at the beginning of the year. Um it is, what, December 18th, so next week's Christmas and the New Year's. So I think we're going to have a couple weeks off from the podcast. Um, but we'll we'll come back strong, and I'll have, man, we'll be able to do a full episode. We won't do this, but we'll be able to do a full episode on what did Jace fix this week. When do we get, when we follow up, like, the week after New Year's or whatever? Because I'm going to have a full week of maintenance and fixing between Christmas and New Year's. So looking forward to that that's great i'm gonna i'm i've never captured like actual firsthand footage of me doing that but i'm gonna try to accomplish that
1: yes do it that's all great
0: all right thanks for listening this week and we'll be back in a couple weeks it'll be 2022 when we're back
1: merry christmas and happy new year
0: Hey, is everything working good for you? You need anything? Anything broke? Anything leaking? Just make sure we stay on track with the yellows, and everything will be fine. Little things lead to big things. We stay late tonight. We need to get this job finished up. Overall, I think everybody's doing a great job. Keep up the good work getting hot out, so make sure you're drinking plenty of water. I know this job's been difficult, and everybody's getting frustrated, but if we can't do it, nobody else can. That's the reason why the job's here, because nobody else could get it figured out. Just keep working at it, don't get frustrated. We'll keep collecting data, taking good notes, and we'll get it figured out. Does anybody else have anything?